Yes. Yes, 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 we do. Great declaration to sing over our lives this morning, ladies, as we get started. And really, in a lot of ways, that song is Hebrew 6 in music. <laughs> um, and so I love it that that song specifically, as we're singing it, we're saying about ourselves what we're going to be, how we're going to be, right? I love my pastor. He, um, he's such a great man of God. And one of the things he says is you've got to learn how to be able to tell yourself what to do. Be yourself and your flesh doesn't boss you around, but you say, no, self, this is what we're doing today. So you say, I'm holding on to hope. I'm holding on to grace. I'm hold-. That's what we're doing today, right? And the Holy Spirit within us has given us the strength to be able to have that self-control and to be able to tell ourselves what we're going to do. So good morning. Good morning, everyone. That was a little extra preaching at the beginning before we even got going. But um, I hope everybody slept well. It looked like as Amber asked that question, we did. I know it's always a little weird being first night in a new place, hearing new new sounds. I know this, our room is upstairs there, and um, this morning I started hearing this. I'm like, what is that? And um, somebody had plugged in the coffee maker. <laughs> right, you know, and so that's a new sound. And the other night we were here, it was just three of us here that night. Nicole and I were upstairs, and Julie um, Hain was down in one of these rooms, and all of a sudden we started hearing something. You know, this is a big old house, right? You know, a lot of places a creepy person could hide. And, <laughs> but we knew Julie had gone to bed, and we were like, I mean, Nicole was up, she was standing by the door. Should I get a lamp? <laughs> and, I texted, and I texted Julie, and I'm like, are you awake? And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she had been walking around down here, and she didn't know. But Nicole's like, should I get a lamp? <laughs> I don't know what I have. It was funny. But anyway, hopefully you didn't hear all kinds of weird noises in the night. You did get a good night's rest. And hopefully you started your morning off in a good way with the Lord in that devotional time. But you did it last night with your roommate or some people, but that this morning you got to have just some time with you and God. Because these group times are so good. Like, there's nothing like being with the, with the body of Christ, united sisters, you know, loving Jesus. But there's also nothing like when you and God, just you and God, right? Um, just having time together. And it's so important that we do that. I believe that's a mark of maturity. You know, as you did your devotion last night, you were asking yourself the question, am I mature? I believe spending time with God is a mark of maturity, you know, knowing how to develop a relationship. When we're little babies, we think the world revolves around us, right? But when we grow up, we start realizing that uh, there's a lot of people here. There's a God in heaven, you know, and so in that maturity, we start spending time with God. We start developing that relationship. To me, that would be one of many, many marks of maturity, and I hope you had some good discussion about that last night. So, you know, whether or not you're at the Fall Bible Getaway or you're here, that 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 spending time with God in the morning is just a part of what you do. And not just the morning, but really just out of relationship, you're just fellowshipping with Him all day long. So as we continue fellowshipping with Him this morning, we want to step back into the words of Hebrews 6 and move on to the next few verses. I also just caught their faces and just wanted to mention, so last night, Tammy and Rhonda back here, you guys wave. They were not here last night. Light delays, um, some things they traveled in from Pennsylvania and so didn't get here till like 10. So we're really glad to have them. So make sure, yeah, well, yeah, they, the plane landed at 10. That's when I got the text. They, yeah, so we're really, really glad they're here. So 
Let's just start off the morning getting back into this word by saying our memorization together, okay? All right, so let's start that out. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. And today you're going to continue on into the next part of that. So why don't we go ahead and say that as well. Start at the beginning. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. We're going to talk about all that throughout the day, but just keep working on that. So you'll move into that next color. So last night and this morning, we, we talked about God's part in this whole hope thing, right? We really talked about how the fact that we even have a hope for better things was his idea, right? Because he's the one, out of his love, out of his holiness, he's the one that said, I have better things for my children than this brokenness that they've landed themselves in because of, of sin, we also talked about the fact that he is not unjust. He is a good father, right? And those things are the basis, those better things, the fact that he's not unjust, his goodness. Those are the basis of our hope. That's God's part, and we're going to really see him do even a whole lot more. But we want to talk this morning about our part, right? We want to talk about our part. You know, if we don't have the truth of God's character and nature in our hearts, hope is just going to rise and fall based on do you like what's happening in your life or not? But God has better things than that. And his part is what we've already mentioned, but today we want to talk about our heart. He's going to encourage us to take hold of, right? To hold on to it, like we sang in that song. To take hold and hold on to the hope. So let's read starting in verse 11 this morning. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Abraham obtained the promise. So we read that, and we see for Abraham, his hope actually became realized. God's promises actually faithfully came to be, and Abraham came into a place of a full assurance of hope. But it started with diligence. It started with diligence. Look at verse 11 again. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. So what is diligence? If that's our part, what is diligence? The Greek word for diligence is actually the word spode. It's spelled S-P-O-U-D-E. And its number one meaning is haste. Haste. Like to do it in a hurry or do it quickly with no delay. But the word diligence, it also carries this idea of earnestness to accomplish something. Like you've got this great desire to accomplish something. And I believe God is saying to us here when he says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. He's saying, I want you to be earnest to accomplish this full assurance of hope, and I want you to do it quickly, right? I want you to do it quickly. Webster defines diligence like this. He says it's a steady, earnest, and energetic effort, 
And he also includes the idea of quickness, of haste in it. You might have heard some of these bigger words before. These are all synonyms for the word diligent. Conscientiousness, thoroughness, meticulousness, and assiduousness. Now, are those words you use on a regular basis? Uh, pretty big words, right? I don't, I don't use them a lot either. But one of them really caught my eye, and it's kind of a weird reason why, but I, I felt like I should share this. I think it gives the emphasis of what God is trying to say here. Maybe helps us to get a hold of it a little bit better. But the word assiduousness, one of the synonyms for, for diligence, it caught my eye, first of all, because it's not a word that I use very often, but also because of the word that's within the word there. So you may not know how to spell that, but it starts off like A-S-S-I-D-U-O-S-N-E-S-S. Now, just so you know, that word that's within the word ASS, that is not a word I commonly use either, but it caught me my eye here because I think it really does speak into this idea of uh, diligence, being diligent. See, you know, sometimes, and hopefully not you, but probably we all have, sometimes people act like an ASS, right? Because they're being very stubborn in an impulsive moment, right? They don't even think through what they're doing. They just do it because it means something, whatever it is, means that much to them. So they're being quickly stubborn in, in, a, in a very negative thing. But if you take that same dynamic of being quickly stubborn and you put it into you know, doing something good, that's really a good thing. So I'm not really saying that the Bible's calling us to act like an ASS, right? But I am saying that in a way. I think that kind of gives us that oomph of, of what God's trying to say here. You, you need to be so stubborn that you would act like stubborn in a very quick and impulsive way to protect and to do something about the hope that God has set before you. You know what? God has given us this hope. Are we going to take hold of it? Abraham did that. And we're going to explore his story more for sure. We'll talk about it a little bit this morning. Tonight we're really going to look into it. But I think what God wants us to do with these verses this morning, even just starting out with this idea of being diligent, is to really look at the idea of our part. Because within the verses that I read for you this morning, there are some very practical instructions for us about our part, of what, what we should do as we're thinking about, okay, or singing, you know, I'm going to take hold or I'm going to hold on to this hope. What does that look like in your life? What's practical about that? And really in these verses, we find seven instructions. Six of them are things that we should do. One of them is things that, something that we should not do. So let's just start right now. So we'll start with number one. It's do be diligent. Right? It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Now, we talked about that a little bit already, but I want to explore it a little bit more. Because if we want to live in the full assurance of hope, the Bible's telling us here, you're going to have to be diligent about it. You're going to go for it. Hope does not just fall out of the sky on some people and not land on others. I think sometimes we think that, but that's not true. This is being very clear. Hope is something you have to go for. It's been handed to you freely, but will you take it? And I know in my life, I've had to fight for hope in certain areas. Recently, um, I grabbed a hold of a new favorite word. It's kind of my new word in, in 2018. It's the word grit. Grit. And, and I think personally, it's a great synonym 
a 2018 style synonym for the word diligence. It's not as big and flashy as those other words that I just mentioned earlier, but that's okay. In fact, I, I actually like it better. It's just a small little word, grit, but I like it because it sounds raw and it sounds real, right? And it's in those raw and those real moments of life where we either get diligent about taking hold of hope or we just say, ah, uh, whatever. And we just settle on down into whatever, lesser things. Recently, I read an article about this lady, and her name is Angela Duckworth. If you get the Costco magazine, you might have even seen this article. I don't even usually read things like that, but I did that day, and it was so interesting to me. She is actually considered to be the grit expert in America. And she defines grit as passion and perseverance. The idea that if you're passionate about something, that will help you to persevere, to persevere, to take hold of it because you know it should be yours. And I, I really like her definition, passions and perseverance, but I also think as believers, we have to add something else to it. That grit is not about, oh, I'm passionate, I wanna become a doctor, or I'm passionate that I want, you know, and so you go for it, yes, certainly, but it's really about what is God saying for your life? Are you passionate about his plans for your life and are you willing to persevere through whatever it takes to grab hold of those Things. See, grit isn't about our dreams and plans, but our grit, our diligence, needs to be about pressing into what God has dreamed for us. When God says this here, and we desire that each one of you, so it's not just for leadership people, it's not just for the super spiritual people who know how to pray real well and all that. Okay, they'll press through and I'll just ride it. No, each one of you show the same diligence. So how do you even measure you know, how do you say, well, am I diligent? I don't know. A am I diligent? Angela says five measurements of grit or diligence, because we're going to use those words interchangeably right now, are these five things. Courage, courage, conscientiousness, follow through, resilience, and excellence. Now, if you didn't get them all, I'm going to go through them one by one, so you'll, you'll pick them up, okay? Courage, conscientiousness, follow-through, resilience, excellence. When we, those things are working, she says that's a, that's a good measure that you are someone that has grit. And I like that because it gives me a way of measuring to say, am I really somebody that has that grit? So let's look at each one of these things. First of all, courage. When God calls me to be diligent or to have grit, courage has got to be a part of it. It takes courage to believe God's promises when everything you can see in front of you suggests something otherwise, right? It takes courage to keep stepping in day after day, especially if you've been waiting for a long time, to believe God, to speak what God is saying to you out loud to people. It takes courage to do that because most often you're not seeing it yet. God does require us to wait. So it takes courage. Grit won't let you not be courageous. You have to be courageous if you've got that diligence and that grit. It also takes conscientiousness. That's the second one. In other words, intentionality, being aware at all times that you are pressing toward the better things that God has for you. 
I know in my life, if God has spoken a word of a promise about something either specifically here in his word, which there's tons of promises here, or if it's something I know he's specifically given to me for my life and my family and my calling and all of that, I have to be so conscientious to very carefully speak about that thing. Because I can easily speak out of my flesh and just be talking it down and yet think, oh, but I'm hoping in God. (laughs) You know, that's not being conscientious. If I'm conscientious, I am mindful and I am nurturing that promise. For me personally, just one of the ways God, you know, relates to me, but I'm a visual girl and, and I learn that way. And so he'll give me images of things. And then those images help me to be conscientious, to hold that hope and to remember, you know, I mean, Probably, I don't know, several years ago, God gave me a word about something with a bell. And that bell has carried me through a season in my life. And and it's caused me to be conscientious to remember this promise that he spoke in relation to that. I'm not going to say that whole story. It's too long and all of that. It's not even necessary for now. But he'll do things in your life if you're seeking that hope and you're doing your best to press on with grit and diligence. He'll put things for you and your personality that work for you in the wheelhouse of how you learn. That's how I learn. And that's how I can be conscientious about things. And that's just the way he works in my life. But grit also takes follow through. That's the third thing. Anyone can say they hope something takes place, but how many of us don't give up, right? And follow through past the startup days, right? It's easy to be, I'm hopeful, when you're you're just in the early days of a promise or believing God for something. But it's the follow through. It's the long days. It's the dark days. It's when you've, you've hit a season and, you know, God hasn't even said anything about that in like three years. <laughs> and you're like, I guess that was a promise. You know, are you still following through on that day after day? What about resilience? That's the fourth thing Angela says is a, is a measurement of diligence or grit. You know, we're going to see this later today in Abraham's life, but he experienced a lot of setbacks. You know, in the time that he had to wait for God to bring about a promise. There were many times where everything seemed totally lost or that he had personally messed it up, right? But he was resilient. He kept getting back up and repenting before God and pressing on and stepping into with haste, quickly, that promise. We live in a broken world, ladies, and Satan is always going to be trying to destroy the promises, trying to uh, feed us thoughts and and images of reasons why we should never hope in that thing. And sometimes we will fall into them, especially if you're having to believe and hope with God over a long period of time for that better thing. You'll fall into some places where, man, that's probably not the best way to have dealt with that. And you've got to be able to get back up and quickly step into that place again with God because you know he's not unjust. You know he welcomes you and he loves you. So you just step back into that, your resilience. Grit and diligence call us to be resilient, to get back up, to not lose our hope. And the last one that she says is a measurement of grit or diligence is excellence. Now, excellence is not perfection, but practicing your hope with a spirit of excellence, right? Not, not half-heartedness, but excellence. Some of you know that I this year I... Um, certified and started teaching Pilates, which has been a whole journey, nothing I ever saw in my story, and basically cried my way through the first few weeks of the whole experience, because it was, it was so much to take up. But one of the things that I was told early on, 
and that now I use, we use this phrase in our studio a lot, is Pilates practice, not Pilates perfection. We practice it with excellence, right? We practice hard and we push through, but there, we're probably never going to get these Pilates moves to 100% perfection, but we're going to practice them with excellence. And I can tell you in my, my physical being, I have gotten so much stronger this year, being able to do things I never have been able to do, but it's that practicing it with excellence. And I thought about that as I was thinking this idea of excellence, right? That it, I'm not going to get this holding onto the promises and hope of God perfect, but that doesn't mean I just go, oh, well, whatever, right? I press on day after day, getting stronger and stronger, and I do that with excellence. Not a, not a standard way down here, but I set the bar high because I know God's promises are high, right? And they're good. Hebrews 6 says, and we desire that each one of us show the same diligence. So do be diligent. That's number one, right? But there are also some more practical instructions. So what else does this tell us? It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope. Number two is do expect full hope. Full hope. Not too long ago, I had a friend text me. I was actually coming out from the studio from teaching Pilates that morning and got in my car and I usually check my texts because I always turn my phone off when I'm teaching. And I went to check my text, and this friend, who I don't talk to a whole lot, but she prays for me. And I hadn't talked to her in a while, and she just texted me. She said, God expects you to expect 100% redemption. Don't settle for 85%. And I just was so taken back. Like, her words pierced my heart. Mainly because I had kind of been in a place of unrest. I, was, I knew about some things that were going on in my life that... I, um, I wasn't at peace about it. And I had been asking God, God, what is it? Why am I not like at peace about this anymore? And he showed me through her. Because you're only just expecting this when I've promised you this. And that expectation changed the way I was thinking. It changed the way I was responding. It changed the way I was praying. All of it. Just that little bit less of expectation. This says the full assurance of hope the full assurance of hope it is God's desire that our hearts be filled up last year fall Bible good away girls okay we our theme last year was filled up from Ephesians 1 right so he wants to fill us up but it is his desire that he we be filled up with hope too right a full assurance of hope not 15% less than full not 10% less than full not even 1% less than full. His desire here for us, the better thing is full assurance of hope because that leaves no room then for the enemy or the less than to have its place at all. Full assurance of hope. Have you or ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said yourself, yeah, we're hopeful, but you know, we're just waiting to see. We, we talk like that, don't we? God's promises come with full assurance of hope. We're not waiting to see, right? We already have seen. We've seen. We've been given sight into the fact that he has better things for us. We're not hopeful based on whether or not this turns out right. We're hopeful based on the character of 
our almighty, loving, good, perfect, holy, heavenly Father. And we have to have a whole mind shift in that because our culture only knows how to operate in hope that's based on outcomes. We know a hope, a full assurance of hope, based on the fact that our God is fully perfect, right? And that's where our full assurance of hope comes from. Let's read this. Again, verse 11, it says, and we desire, you're going to have this memorized by the time we do it, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until what? Until the end. So number three is do expect hope, all, full hope, all your days. Do expect full hope all your days. For every day that we live on the earth, every day you're still breathing, God wants your heart your mind, your being, to be filled up with a full assurance of hope until the end. Now that could mean age, so let's think of it in that terms. So even if we live to be 110 or older, and our teeth have fallen out, right? We're wearing depends, we're covered in wrinkles, we can barely walk, maybe can't enjoy food anymore because we, for whatever reason, we're lonely and tired and all our people are dead and gone, right? Until what? The end. The end. There's always hope for better things. Or maybe this means the end of a challenge. So until you see the full realization of what God has promised you in a certain thing, that you don't let any less than come into your heart and mind. It is a full assurance of hope all the way to the end crossing the finish line either of life on this earth into that full assurance of hope in heaven or crossing the finish line of God promised this now we've received it praise the Lord I hoped until the end and God was faithful and he always will be it's a full assurance of hope until the end there's always hope for better things because our hope is found in Jesus and I'm going to say that over and over this weekend and I want it to resound in our hearts. I want it to be like, I know that. Yep, I hope we do, right? Because that's where our hope comes from. The message here is don't give up. I mean, that's in, in its totality, really, that's what it is. But how many people do give up, right? We give up. We just settle into, oh, I'll live with that. It's good enough. And we know that God has more. We should always have our eyes on God's better. Always until we take our last breath and enter into the fullness of hope that's actually realized. But there's still more. So we've done three of the do statements. The next one is a don't, okay? It's the only one that's a don't, but it's don't be sluggish. Read verse 12 with me. That you may not be sluggish. We're talking about our part. And as we do our part in taking hold of the hope that God has given us, we can't be sluggish. Sluggish is the opposite of being diligent. It's the opposite of being diligent. Whereas diligence has this idea of earnest, passion, with haste, like you're going to do it quickly because it matters so much to you, sluggish is the exact opposite. Well, if I feel like it, if I get around to it, it's just laziness, basically. And we all know what it's like to feel lazy, right? No, no drive, no passion for something. Now, you may have never connected the idea of having hope to being lazy, right? But when you realize that hope is something you have to fight for to take hold of it, the inference here is definitely that hope takes effort. 
It's not something that falls upon us from, from heaven. It does in the fact that it's a gift, but God's very clear we have to fight for it. And we might even be thinking as we read this, I know there's been times that I have, well, I am sluggish right now. I don't know how to be anything different. <laughs> so what do I do, God? You're telling me not to be sluggish, but really I don't feel any hope right now. So, so how do I not be sluggish? Well, God tells us how to not be sluggish as he continues giving us practical instructions. So let's look at number five. We're going to get back into the do statement. So we had three do's, one don't, and now we're three more do's. Number five is do imitate. It says that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So do imitate, number five. One of the things God's word tells us is that the power of a testimony is really something, right? It's very potent. The Bible says in Revelation, it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb, so that's Jesus' sacrifice, right? And the word of their testimony. That helps us to overcome. That helps us overcome sluggishness, right? And taking hold of the hope. A testimony it's just simply a story of people talking about how God has worked in their lives and done something supernatural, done something they couldn't have done on their own. You know, in his word, we find people who have testimonies. I mean, there's stories all over the Bible of people like Abraham that we're going to talk about more because this text talks about. But, you know, we think of Noah and Sarah and Jacob and, and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. There's so many characters in the Bible. And God is saying to us, study them, imitate them. In other words, look at what they did and you do it too. So in our text, God specifically points out Abraham. So let's think about him for just a minute. Most of us probably generally familiar with his story. Um, tonight we're going to really look into his story, but just as an overview, Abraham in the early days of scripture God had, Jewish people were not even yet, right? Because God began them through Abraham. But God called him and basically just showed up and started talking to him one day. And Abraham was this old man at the time. He was about 75 years old. His wife was old. Her name was Sarah. And they had never been able to have a child. Well, back in those days, that's pretty important, right? That was, you know, you're, having an heir meant everything. It was whether or not you had lived a... a um, a purposeful, productive life. He was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of, you know, herds and land and all of these things. But God shows up to him. He's 75, probably thinking, you know, well, that's just never going to happen for us. And probably dealing with a lot of grief about that. And yet God shows up and starts speaking to him. And he says, pick up everything you've got and go, go. He doesn't say where to go. He just says, go. Now that would be a lot, right, to pick up everything you've got and just go. And he said, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now there were five different times that God spoke to Abraham, just showed up and spoke things. And there are these conversations that are just amazing to study. But the basic gist of all of it was that God spoke a promise to him. A, a promise to a man who the Bible actually says they were well past childbearing years. Even describes Abraham at one point as being as good as dead. In other words doesn't work anymore, all right? No way you're going to get pregnant this time, all right? And so, you know, he waited, God waited until all, all hope would be lost. In fact, the Bible says, in hope against hope. In other words, there is no reason to hope. And then God chose to speak. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to have so many descendants. They're going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven. And... 
in you, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Talk about better things, right? And there is absolutely no reason for Abraham, nothing he could see at the moment. In fact, the only thing that he has valuable to him, God is calling him to leave and go away from. And not even telling him where he's going to go. And 25 years he walks this promise out. So he calls him when he's about 75. It's about 25 years later when God fulfills that promise and he gives him a son in Isaac. Now there's all kinds of details that you know take, take um, place during all of that. There's so much in his story. But when you study his life and you see how he pressed through and you see he made mistakes just like we make mistakes and we don't always do it 100% perfect, but he kept getting back up. You, you, you say, I wanna be like that. I wanna imitate that. He didn't get it exactly right, but God called him his friend. I wanna be God's friend. Right? What did he do to be God's friend? Can I be God's friend? I mean, you just start looking into the story of Abraham and you, and, and you imitate him. And he's, you know, like we said, not the only one. There's so many in scripture. I think the first place we should go to imitate people is to God's word because we get to read about their lives. And, you know, it's one thing to imitate somebody when they're in the throw of the thing. But when you get to see the backside of the story, that's even more powerful, I think, because you get to, you know, see the whole, whole picture. But scripture should be our first place to look when we're thinking about imitating people. But, you know, in our world today, we have access to so much information. You could literally spend the rest of your life finding people to imitate and it wouldn't be hard to find because there are people, stories, testimonies all over, you know, the place in front of us. We don't, we don't have to hunt for them even. They're there. You just ask God, show me somebody that I can Im imitate, right? I mean, Paul even said in scripture, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, he had matured in his faith, gotten to a point, and then he had the confidence to know, I haven't gotten it perfect, but I can see you haven't come along. You're, you're just younger than me in your faith. So, hey, follow me. Do what I do. It's not like Paul became Jesus to them, but Paul's living out his mature faith. These things are springing up in his life. He's living in the better things. And so he's calling people to follow him. And we are called, ladies, that's one of the best ways that we can really start to grow our hope is to find people in your life and in God's word who have done it well, and then you do what they did. And even better, if you can get to be a part of their lives and you can have real conversation with them. God never leaves us without inspiration. The inspiring stories are all around us, all around us. I'll forever be grateful to two women in my little Alabama town many, many years ago who were way out in front of me in their maturity in their faith. And basically their example called me to get up off of my whiny baby brat butt and start growing up in Christ and learn how to function in the better things that he, he gave me. I'm so thankful for them. Had I not imitated what I saw in their life, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would not be in the places of, of, you know, maturity that God has grown in my life. I still have a long way to go. I'm still playing catch up from the time that I didn't grow up between 8 and 29, you know. But, but I'm a whole lot further along. But that wouldn't have happened if those women hadn't been in my life. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for Corey Ten Boom. I have studied her life at length 
read her books. I, I used to be a drama teacher. We did a play of her life, you know? I, I, list, I found actual messages online that she spoke and I've, um, that they've recorded. The quality's not that great, but I've listened to them. And there have been very specific times where things that I have read about her story that the Holy Spirit will remind me of and he calls me to reenact them in my own life, like, you know, um, in a, a dynamic, you know? Um, and I'm so thankful for her example. I mean, she leads for many. I've never met her, but I imitate her. She's somebody out in front of me. So one way that we can make sure that we're not being sluggish is we need to have people in our lives that we have intentionally decided, I'm imitating you. I like what I see in you. I like your faith. I like your perseverance. I like your grit. I like your diligence. And so I'm going to do what you do. Right? We, we copy other people for everything else. Oh, I like her shoes. Right? I like her hair. And we copy that. We try to imitate that. Why not these character qualities? God says imitate. He tells us. He gives us that inspiration. And that just leads us to our next do. Right? And that's do exercise faith and patience. All right? It says imitators of those who through faith and patience. So when you're looking for somebody to imitate, you wanna look for somebody that has both of those things. Now we all know those things do not naturally come to us, right? We're not just naturally faith, filled with faith, and we're not just naturally patient. But they are absolutely necessary if we desire to walk toward and take hold of the better things God has for us. The only way to get faith is to be in God's word. I mean, his word tells us Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Being in God's word will produce faith. There's just this supernatural ingredient in the word. I don't know exactly what it is. It's that secret ingredient, right? And it just builds up faith on the inside of us. And I would say that more often than not, if you're struggling with hope, when I'm struggling with hope, it's because I need more faith, right? I, I, I've somehow lost faith in seeing God for who he is and I have minimized him down into something that he's not or less than what he is. It's, faith is not just knowing what God says but it's uniting your beliefs and your actions and your heart and your thoughts all of that with what God's word says and it's not easy to do that when nothing is giving you a reason to believe him. But that's how God operates a lot. I don't understand it, you know? Why did he call Abraham at 75? Why did he have him give up everything? Why did he make him wait another 25 years? But God does that. And we have to have faith to believe him through that if we're really gonna grab hold of this hope. This also says we need patience. They're like the, this duo that, that we gotta work with here. And we all know it's not easy to be patient, right? If you've been waiting on God's promise for a long, long time in your life, it's not easy to be patient for that. And I've heard so many people say over the years, and I probably used to say this myself, I don't say it anymore. I hear people say, don't pray for patience. Okay. Absolutely you need to pray for patience. You don't have any, so you need it. If you want to have hope, you've got to pray for it. Or you can just choose to not have hope. But if you don't have patience, you're not going to have hope. Because more often than not, God's going to give you a promise and he's going to call you to wait for it. And faith is not enough. Faith is great, but patience is what will hold that faith over days and weeks and years and months. They work together. God said this, and we need patience. Yeah, it's a hard workout to learn patience, but if you keep putting it off, 
You know, it's like putting off the other things we need to do in our lives. It only gets worse. <laughs> so the first prayer, if, if, if you're struggling with hope, you need to say, God, give me patience and oh, brace me for what's coming, right? You know, and, and, and yet that even, part of people saying that too, one of the reasons I've realized it's such a bad thing to say because it, it assigns like something not good about God. Like implying that he's going to do something. Yeah, he might work you out and kick your butt, but that would be really good for you. He's doing that for your good, right? He'll be your personal trainer and teach you. But when you say don't pray for patience, it's like you're trying to control things, right? And you're saying God's not good, and we already know he is good. He's not unjust. So if he needs to teach you patience, it's because you need patience to take hold of these better things. So don't say that, right? And ask for patience. Ask God for it. We're going to be tempted to not develop patience. But if you really want the inheritance, you have to have both of those things. Faith and patience. So the last one here. Do claim your inheritance. Number seven. Do claim your inheritance. Let me read verse 12. It says that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I don't know if any of you, I, I never have had an inheritance left to me other than what God has given to me, the best inheritance, but like a tangible inheritance on this earth, probably some of you have. But, you know, if someone leaves you inheritance, you're going to do whatever is necessary to claim that inheritance, right? I mean, even I, I've known people who've gotten inheritance and they've got to go through so many steps to get that inheritance, all this paperwork and hearings and da 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 but they're going to do it because it's an inheritance. And you, you want it. God has given us an inheritance of better things, of hope being one of those better things. The question is, do we follow through? Do we do what it takes to claim our inheritance? Many believers never take God up on their inheritance. They just leave it sitting there. They won't go through. Oh, if God drops it in our lap, we'll take it. But we won't go through the steps. We would do it for any other kind of inheritance. And yet this inheritance, we just kind of sit back and go, Oh, God never blesses me like he blesses. He did bless us. He's given us this inheritance. We've got to not be sluggish, right? Imitate people. Put faith and patience in action and inherit those promises that God has for us. I think this weekend, God is literally just imploring us, right? To grab hold of the full assurance of hope to the end. And I know that this is kind of an in-your-face message. It is for me too, you know, when I've studied this and read this, you know, it calls me to go, okay, I say I want hope, what am I doing? Am I doing my part to really take hold of hope? God's done his part, and now he's giving us instructions, right? Very practical things from these verses. Six things that we can do to be diligent, and one thing we want to avoid. You know, the Bible says it's very, very good to ponder. There's a scripture in Proverbs 5. It's talking about an adulterous woman, and it describes her. And it says, one of the things it says about her, it says, she does not ponder the path of life. Her steps are going down to hell, and she doesn't even know it. And I remember the first time I read that, it just struck me so much because I thought, I've got to make sure that I intentionally take time to ponder my life. And I've learned me pondering by myself doesn't really produce very much good. <laughs> so that means I need to ponder in the presence of the Lord. That takes time. But in our busy world, we don't do that a lot. So that's why last night we had you journaling some on that sheet. And we're going to take a few minutes this morning to ponder 
these instructions and ask ourselves some questions, right? So that we can say, wow, you know, I've got this hope in front of me. Am I really doing my part to take hold of it? Or are my steps leading me in a downward place and I didn't even realize? Because I'm just, you know, going about life hoping hope's going to fall on me one day. You know, hoping some good things are going to come my way when I'm not really, what's my part in taking hold of those things? So we've got a new scripture card this morning. Hopefully you're getting a collection of these, right? You're going to keep them with you. But this one says, and we'll pass it around, God, I want to be diligent and not sluggish so that I may realize the full assurance of hope until the end. It's just taking that scripture, turning it up into a prayer. So we're going to give each of us one of these and one of these. These are some questions. You want to, yeah. Um, there you go. These are some questions. For instance, like for do be diligent, it says, am I being diligent to actively experience this gift of hope each day? And you can use those five markers from Angela Grit or Angela Grit. Angela Duckworth. <laughs> 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 All right. And then it just goes through. It just asks you some questions. Just ponder. Just think. With a backdrop of knowing how good God is. If he's asking you this, it's not so he's gonna wave his finger in your face and say, You naughty child. Right? No. It's for calling us up into the better, the better things. So let's just take that pondering time, and then I'll close it out in a few minutes after we have some time. Let's give the Holy Spirit voice this morning for that.